I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. There's a darkness inside of me. Like magnets were only drawn to thee. So we keep circling, circling down, crashing and burning down. Losing to gravity now, giving to following now. Cause nobody moves me. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Laces. Let me tell you a little bit about Laces. What's in a name, William Shakespeare once asked. That which we call a rose, he wrote, by any other name, would smell as sweet. Well, putting that in musical terms, when Prince changed his name, I'm sure, I'm sure this is exactly what Shakespeare had in mind when he wrote that. But when Prince changed his name from... Prince, to the artist formerly known as Prince, and then that became an acronym, and then that became a symbol, all those changes didn't make a difference. Prince was Prince was Prince was Prince. So, in spite of all the name changes, every time you heard a Prince song, it was Prince. Now, keeping that model in mind, Laces wasn't always Laces. When I first heard of Laces, she was Charlotte Sometimes. But, before she was Charlotte Sometimes... She was Jessica Vaughn. But Jessica Vaughn wasn't going to be known as Jessica Vaughn in the music world. She christened herself Charlotte Sometimes. I thought it was a reference to The Cure, but it turns out that even The Cure song was a reference to something else. And that something else was Penelope Farmer's 1969 novel for young adults called Charlotte Sometimes. So, Charlotte Sometimes' debut album, Waves and the Both of Us, came out in 2008. And suddenly, the New Jersey-born singer-songwriter's life changed drastically. Her record cracked the Billboard Top 200, she was on the Warp Tour, and her life was moving at a rather frantic pace. I'll let her tell you about what all that pace did to her life, but let me just say this. It wasn't good. The Geffen deal went sideways, but Charlotte sometimes kept moving forward, putting out a series of fabulous indie records. So, what did Charlotte sometimes sound like? Well... As you can tell from the music playing behind me, I'm one step ahead of you. It sounded like this.
There's a good example of the work that Charlotte sometimes was doing. Oh, and I almost forgot to tell you this. Charlotte sometimes made an appearance on The Voice. Her appearance was so successful, it caused all four judges to turn around their chairs. Well, why wouldn't they? So, she had a lot of success, but by 2014, she decided to retire the Charlotte Sometimes moniker. The new moniker? Well, you guessed it. Laces. Now, let me say something about Laces' voice. It is quite easily one of the most arresting voices I've ever heard. It's rich, powerful, soul-stirring, and true. In her work, Laces emerges as a singer with authority, vulnerability, nerve, and heart. Quite simply, she knocks me out, and I couldn't wait to talk to her. So, without further ado, this is my conversation with Laces. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I just, uh, I rolled out of bed like 15 minutes ago. So we're just, we're just cruising on some coffee now. <laughs> do, you, do you get more, more womanly as the, as the day progresses, your voice changes? I, yeah, it gets higher. Like <laughs> I, I, when I wake up, I sound like I am like a, a severe cigarette smoker. And then as, as I wake up and around three o'clock, I finally sound like myself and like I can sing. <laughs> I totally get that. I, I had this thing where when I when I do a podcast in the morning, I'm like, oh, I got to make sure I don't sound like the morning. Yeah, you got to wake up. Like my voice teacher would always say, like, if you have a show, you have an interview, like wake up like three hours beforehand. But um, I did not do that. <laughs> no, I totally I totally understand that. And I also, you know, I teach um, at a university in the area and I have morning classes and I'm like, I don't want to sound like I just rolled out of bed because sometimes I have. Right. <laughs> You're like, let me get some warm-ups in. I'll do a little, like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Are you, do you think about your voice? Uh, do you think about it all the time? Is it something you have to kind of, like, protect? Yes, I do think about it all the time. It's exhausting. Um, not as much anymore because I used to be, like, a pretty heavy, um, like, touring artist. And I was in the studio every day. Um, and so I was extra careful because my my songs that I write not only for myself but for other people and when I'm doing like background singing is always pretty challenging and the songs that I write I don't know why I do this to myself I guess I'm a masochist I just like go all over the place like I start really low I can end up all the way up into a high f like in a belt and so to do that like on a daily basis when I used to have to tour was like pretty daunting. Um, but, uh, but now it's not so bad, but I do think about it. I had a, like a vocal injury a few years ago that, um, I feel like every single like professional, uh, vocalist ends up having at some point, which is like a hemorrhage on your vocal cord. And, um, and so now I think about it a little bit more, but I, I, I do so many different things in music where I work in like music licensing and I do a lot of custom music. And then I, I'll sing and then I write for other people. So there's less pressure on me on a daily basis now. And is it also one of those things where you have to think about like what you eat? Cause I talked to somebody and they were saying like nightshades are really bad for 
a voice or obviously drinking or smoking cigarettes. Do you think in terms of that now as well? Uh, kind of. I mean, I think that every body is different and can kind of handle different things. Like there's certain singers out there that can just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Right. And, um, I, I admire them so much. Like Pat, like Pat Monahan and Butch Walker are like these two, like they have these voice boxes of steel and like nothing ever happens to them. Like Butch Walker can have a whole like bottle of red wine and like sing like an angel. And <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Pat Monahan's never had a voice lesson in his life and he just like, he slays. So I think every body is different. Like I think I have a more um, sensitive constitution. So it's, it, it took a little bit more kind of figuring out what, what I need to do, but uh, nitrates don't really bother me. I, I have other like health issues, but I just try not to like, if I have a show, I try not to act like an asshole. You know, I'm like, don't smoke cigarettes. I don't do that anyway. But like maybe smoke less weed. I'm like, all right, I can do that. Um, <laughs> and I try not to drink like four days before a show. Um, though I, sometimes I do drink during them. So I, I'm a bad person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> What about like if somebody around you is sick? Are you like I gotta get away from that person? Yeah, I don't, I don't dig that. Even if I'm not singing, I just am not like into the germs situation. I have a, I have like two autoimmune diseases, so if I get sick, it just really runs me down and kind of can throw off my whole, my whole game. Um, so I take, I definitely baby myself. I take really good care of myself. <laughs> good, yeah. I mean. That is that is your you know your instrument right so you have to protect it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I if my husband starts sniffling, I'm like, you're not sleeping in here. <laughs> <laughs> what when you yeah. talk about the the vocal hemorrhage was that? Yeah. But I, I don't mean to get so medical with you, but what yeah, like what? Get into it. <laughs> <laughs> what when that happened? Did you know something was wrong? Kind of. So like you know. I have the, um, I tend to overreact to things. So I sometimes don't listen to my initial reactions. <laughs> so I think because I had toured so long and like kind of just like any athlete. And when you sing on it, when you sing difficult material and you're singing on it on a daily basis, um, and athletically, um, there's always, uh, a chance of injury and, and it's almost unrealistic to think that you won't injure yourself at some point if you're doing it as long as I've been doing it, which has been over 15 years. So like when people like, you know, you look at Adele and you're like, of course, like even if she's singing completely technically perfect, like you're only human. Like what if you're sick one day or you, you cough the wrong way. Right. And then you hurt yourself. Um, it's the same thing like with any athlete, like you see people like, you know, football players and, you know, like you're going to get injured. It's just how long is it going to keep you down? Um, but so I wasn't like I was feeling fatigued, you know, and I, w I was noticing that I was sounding a little bit more, you know, hoarse than normal. And I've kind of like I've had some issues in the past, but like nothing that I couldn't get around. And all of a sudden I just had like was losing control of my voice and like, I'm such a control freak. And that's when I was like, crap, I think I did something. And it happened when, after I did um, some Vegas shows 
and um, the music was pretty challenging. And I think just being in the, the smoky environment in the casino, um, and I think I might have had already had a vocal injury and I was singing on top of it. And uh, for women, I know, I don't know why we're getting so technical, but we're just like <laughs> deep in it. But um, for women, if you are like close to your period or on your period, the blood vessels in your vocal cords are more susceptible to hemorrhage. So it was kind of like a perfect storm for me. So then I went in and they were like, oh, yeah, you did this. And then you kept singing on it, which is when the injury happens. You know uh. what I mean? So like you can like, you know, bursting a blood vessel isn't that like crazy. It happens all over your body, you know? Right. But what happens is if you do it on your vocal cord and you sing athletically um, and you don't give yourself a chance to like, like really heal from that and you sing on it, that's when, that's when injury can happen. And, um, it, it's, it, you know, it's pretty common, but you know what? The one thing I would say is that when that does happen, you get like really good at like knowing when your voice is tired and then being like, Oh, I can't sing right now. Or, um, I'm susceptible, susceptible to, to having another injury if I do this. So you just get more careful, but like, not like psycho. I'm like, I feel like more relaxed now that I, I had that vocal injury. I'm like, Oh, whatever. I'm fine. I survived. <laughs> and was was that a long recovery or it was just a few like a few months? Um, so I think it took like about a year to like feel completely normal. Wow. I say I could I was back to singing, you know, within like the next in like a month and a half. Um and I would say it was more something that I noticed in comparison to what other people noticed. You know, I don't think anyone could hear it. It was just that I was getting really tired. Um, so I had to change around my like writing schedule and, you know, I write for film and TV. So it, I would have to say, okay, I can only be in the studio for, um, this amount of time. Um, and then I have to, I can't be working tomorrow. So it was kind of like a lesson in self care and like being okay with saying no. So it was a lesson I needed to learn and, uh, without, so you don't push yourself, but it, I was recommended to originally get surgery on the vocal cord. Um, but we wanted to wait and see if it like healed itself and like it actually did. And now I don't need surgery and it all worked out. <laughs> did, it, did it ever. I mean, I noticed because I, I was a journalist for a really long time and I remember I listened, I interviewed Bowie and I, and I listened to the tape of it and I was so nervous that I was talking really high and yeah, like, yeah. like, like way too high. And then I noticed that when I'm not nervous, like, like, you know, I'll talk much lower. And so I also wonder like how nerves will play into things. Like sometimes you overdo it because you're a little bit nervous. Oh, that happens all the time. I would say most of the time, any of my vocal issues I've ever had in my entire life have been because I'm a stressed out maniac <laughs> and not actually because I'm singing. Like I, uh, it was, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I don't, I don't play shows that often anymore. And I, I, I was going to play a show and, Whenever I'm going to play a show, I become kind of a nervous um, wreck and I don't sleep and I um, therefore my husband doesn't sleep and I'm driving him crazy. And, um, you know, I all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can't sing. The notes are not coming out. Like I start like just going into like this really like circular conversation with myself. And, um, you know, I went to like my my voice doctor to get like. Uh, like she does this vocal massage and she was just like you she's like there's nothing wrong with your voice you're just so stressed out like your entire like neck muscles just like won't even move <laughs> like, right 
And I was like, (laughs) so crazy that we do that to ourselves. And, uh, and I notice like if I'm really stressed out, I'll have like a glass of wine and all of a sudden my voice is completely different Mm -hmm. because I've relaxed. You know, it's very, it's very funny. Yeah, that it plays a lot into it. I remember I heard Morgan Freeman, someone was asking him about like, why do you have such a great voice? And he was like, well, most people speak, you know, octaves that are way too high for them. And I just speak in my regular natural setting where I should be speaking from. Um, yeah, it's so true. I go, I have like a phone voice. Like when I'm like, I'm like, hi, how are you? Like, oh my God. And then... <laughs> Um, but then like when I'm talking to my husband, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like super low. And then, you know, it's like, it, I change all the time. And so I, you know, I've, I've listened back to myself in like different interviews I've done over the years and I can hear my anxiety levels right. <laughs> throughout the years and like where my voice is, because even my speech is, uh, you know, um, impacted, you know, affected. So it's, it's definitely a, I think the voice is fascinating. It's it's like the one instrument that like is harder to control and takes a lot of like, you know, just just a lot of uh, just thought and practice and making sure you're centered. And that is something I've always, cha- you know, is challenged with. So I think that's maybe why I'm so fascinated by it. But the thing about you is that – listen to me. Here's the thing about you. Here's the thing uh, about you. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> the thing about you is that when I when I got your first album, I thought this is somebody who is in full command of their voice. This is somebody who knows exactly how to use it. And I have only felt that way, say, in the last 35 years about Patty Griffin and Amy Winehouse. And – Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I heard your record and I thought, this is somebody who completely gets how to throw the pitches. Like, you, you seemed very much in control of what you were doing very young. Did it feel that way to you? And how did you think that you crafted um, that kind of command over over that instrument? I feel like the answer to that question is complicated. I would say yes and no, I, I I think that I um I've always come from the thought, the thinking of don't get in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I sing, I try not to overthink it. So, uh, like right before I'm singing, right after I'm singing, I am overthinking the entire thing, and I think that I can't sing and I don't know what I'm doing. But when I when I am performing and when I am singing it, whether that's on the mic in the studio or if that's on stage, I really commit to it. And I, I try to separate my anxiety and my, um, just that, that harsh critic. And I, and I shut her off. And so I, I do think that I can command my voice in that way when I get out of my own way. Um, but, I always wasn't a very good instrumentalist my entire life. So voice was my way of expressing myself and like trying to um, just find new ways to, to make melodies. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, when you're a musician um, and you, and like when it comes to art, like I have a love hate relationship with it. It's not necessarily something I feel like I, I've chosen to do. I feel like, it's kind of, it kind of chose me. And, um, you kind of have to be respectful of that. 
and um, it's just not up to me. And so I think sometimes I could take credit for all this stuff, but it's not really me. It doesn't really belong to me. It's just kind of comes out. <laughs> I get it. Have you ever – was there ever a moment where you thought, I'm going to walk away from this and go be a lawyer, and it just keeps pulling you back? Is that is it sort of like yeah, that too? Totally. It's like a, it's like a shitty boyfriend. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> – I like, I'm trying to quit you. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been doing it professionally since I was 16 years old and you know, I'm 31 now and I've definitely have fantasized about doing other things. I've tried to do other things. You know, I've like tried to date like a high school teacher and like, <laughs> just like teach music to toddlers. And I've tried to like work in advertising. Like I've tried it all. And, um, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't good at those things. Um, you know, I was working at this advertising company and I got offered this, this great job. And I was like, I cried when they offered me the job. I was like, I can't do this. Like, there's no way that I could live this life. And and there's nothing wrong with that life. It just would not authentically be me. And I'm just so unpredictable. Like I need to go and randomly stare at a ceiling and like write about my feelings every once in a while. So it was just, uh, yeah, I can't get away with away from it. And, um, I love it so much. I love the art of expression. Um, I love sharing music with others. I love being able to like kind of, um, solve puzzles, especially in like the film and TV space when I'm writing a custom theme or something like that. I love, I love a good homework assignment in music um, which is kind of different than I think some of my peers cause I'm not as free. I'm a little bit more type A, but, um, yeah, I just can't escape it. And so I think the last two years or three years, I've kind of just been like, I surrender. You got me for life. Right. I, I guess I'm going to stay in music. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like you win superpower. Yeah. Like you win. And you know, my husband always laughs at me cause he's like, it's like, why are you always like second guessing it? And like, you know, just making yourself feel bad about the thing that you've always done and you've been in and that you're succeeding at. What industry is he in? Like, is he in a totally different world? No, he's in music too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead. So you guys, so you guys get it. Like in other words, like it's a house where, where everybody gets what's going on. Oh, yeah. It's a very musical house. I've known my husband for 10 years. He used to be my drummer when I was Charlotte sometimes. And, um, you know, now he's a music manager. And uh, he owns my my company with me, my head bitch music company. And so it's just everything that we do has to do with like supporting musicians or, you know, working on shows or working on songs or trying to help another artist find their voice. And um, and you know, he still drums and it's, uh, like right now he's in the other room having a conference call with an artist. So it's just like, it's a whole musical compound in here. <laughs> yeah. There's no escaping it. You, you kind of no- actually, you kind of actually bunkered down even more. I know. And that's why like, like, why would I lie to myself and, and pretend that I'd be doing anything else? <laughs> totally. I, you know, you did get into this pretty young and I wonder if, there was a kind of vulnerability. I mean, did you feel vulnerable as a young artist? Did you feel, um, and, and, and do you still feel that way 
Um, because being an artist, expressing yourself is a vulnerable thing. And then suddenly when you're 16 and there's eyes all over you, that must have been very disorienting. It was very disorienting. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's all sorts of traumas that you go through in your life. And um, some of them are like these extreme traumas. And some of them are just like these small little traumas that shape who you become. Um, and I think that when your brain is still developing, like those kind of comments and just the way that you experience life um, will remain a part of you and will shape the way that you view the world. Um, and I think when I started, I started really young and, um, you know, my family wasn't like a musical family and, um, you know, they weren't stage parents and we didn't come from a lot of money. So they were like, if you want to be a musician, like you're going to have to figure that out on your own. And I was like, all right, I will, I will get a record deal by the time I'm 18. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I was a little firecracker. Um, but I, it, it was challenging because what was happening is that I also had got diagnosed with my jaw disease when I was like 14 and I was getting reconstructive surgery when I was 16 at the same time that I had signed with um, Crush Management who manages like Fall Out Boy and Train and Sia and Panic at the Disco. Um, and all of a sudden I was like, my whole face was changing and I was also using my face to communicate my art, right? right? Right, So it's hard enough to be a teenager. And I think that kind of just like that extreme pressure of making a record, getting reconstructive surgery, and having to learn how to sing again with my face. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, cut maybe like two years later, making my record for um, Geffen. And then going from like living at home and like um, – to all of a sudden like being on tour, being very like shielded from the world to then like, you know, the internet was starting to boom and like just being able to, people have such easy access to me, being able, them sharing their comments about what my face looked like, what my body looked like, what my voice sounded like was deeply challenging. And um, I think that as an adult, you're more equipped to handle those kind of things. Um, and as like a young adult, it is harder to hear. Um, and you know, I didn't have the most supportive, uh, management at the time. So I just felt very like lonely and isolated and extremely vulnerable, but I always felt good when I was, when I was singing and sharing my songs. But you know, it made me think as you were saying that, that there's, there's something that, that the industry doesn't understand and it's not just one thing, obviously, but um, like I remember – and I think about this a lot and it comes up a lot in, in interviews where I look at Amy Winehouse, who I just adored, and I thought she should never have been playing Glastonbury. Um, it, too big. you know. And, and if you watch that movie, you realize that all she ever wanted to do was play small nightclubs. And I, and I feel like it's zero to 60 with artists where it's like, OK, now we're going to take you and put you on the stage at Lollapalooza or – or the warped tour, like I, I don't think that's even appropriate. There, there seems like there's no um, gradation where there's no place where it's like let's take this artist and put them on this different kind of circuit. It's always like let's try to break them big on a huge, massive 
stage when I think that's actually probably not the right thing to do. Like like with you, I would have thought, let's get her into like small clubs everywhere we can because the music will translate to me in a more immediate way. Um, yes. even, even the stuff you're doing now, like the newest stuff, which I want to talk about, same thing. So I don't know if you feel that way too. Like, you know, I saw you doing the Warp Tour and all that kind of stuff, and I thought, I don't even know if that would have been the right move to make. So... Yeah. So (laughs) I, um, yeah, I definitely felt that way. I think that my management and I had very different, um, ideas about what I should be doing on to support my record. Um, I definitely was treated like I was the child who didn't know anything. And honestly, that's fine. Like, especially as an adult now, I totally understand where that was coming from. I think that it would have been better to have like a female management. I think at the time having like two white men tell a young woman how she should dress and how she should behave and what she should be doing with their career is always a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of support and understanding or empathy uh, of what it means to be a woman on the road, a young woman on the road with a bunch of men. Um, and uh, I remember them telling me that they wanted me to do the Warp Tour. And I was like, fuck. But I wasn't, I wasn't very excited about it. But that being said, I, I, I don't regret it. Kevin at the Warp Tour is such a lovely, amazing human being. And he's been nothing but extremely supportive. And I did learn a lot from, from being, I would say... It wasn't great necessarily like great for my career because it wasn't the audience necessarily that would really, um, really participate with what I was, uh, what my heart songs were, you know, but, um, I do think it made me a better performer Mm. and I think it made me really adaptable to situations that make me deeply uncomfortable because that whole summer was just like basically one just just a summer of learning how to be uncomfortable and so I think that's always a good lesson to learn as a human being um and has made me very adaptable when it comes to writing music and being on stage or learning how to deal with a crowd that doesn't really want to listen to you I learned all those lessons on the warp tour and I even came back on the warp tour because it was such a good experience but um I don't think that musically it made sense. I think that if I were managing me then, or if I think if my husband was managing me, then we probably would have gone a different way. I was more a hot, hot AC artist. So, um, like when I toured with Gavin DeGraw, like that made sense, you know, right. I toured with Pat Monahan, like that made sense. Um, even when I toured with Butch Walker, like that made sense. It didn't really make sense for me to be with like kind of this pop punk, um, groupings because my music wasn't really that. And, while I kind of have a like a spunky spirit, um, I that's just not the music that I was making, and so I ended up kind of like with a miss, kind of like a my fans are like all these misfits, you know, and a lot of them are, you know, they found me on the Warp Tour, but um, it is interesting to see how all that played out and uh, the way, uh, you know, pe- how music managers make decisions for their artists and it's not always in the artist's best interest. Sometimes it's, you know, fulfilling a, um, a bigger agenda that they have. So, 
Right. Like Ella Fitzgerald was never going to play Coachella. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. Like that. There was there was a system in place where they knew where to put artists like that. And it seems like something got lost. And I like what you said about making musical sense. It's like, I totally agree with that. I mean, I even think like Adele doing, you know, 100,000 people. I just think that's silly. I, I don't think because there's nothing about the music that is spectacle or um, you right. know, it seems more much more intimate. So, yeah, I agree with I you. I a more intimate show personally, like. I mean, we just played a really small intimate show on, on the, on June 4th. And, um, you know, the last show I did was, it was all the way back in October, but you know, it was like a, excuse me, I think it was like a 250, 300 person room. And, uh, you know, we filled it and it was great. And so, but I was like, it's just a different, it, even that, like, I was like, that's great. But like, I really want to connect, you know? So the next show that I did, it was like a 60 person room, Yeah, you know what I mean? And like, I couldn't really promote it too much because I didn't like, you can't go from like a 300 people show and then do like a 60 person show. <laughs> um, but I was like, I want it to be free and I, I just want to be able to like relax and like be able to sing my songs because to me, you know, I'm not touring anymore. Like that's just not really what I'm about right now. And I, I'm not trying to be like this famous artist anymore. Like that's just, it's not like I'm always going to be an artist, but that time in my life seems, I think that chapter might be closed, you know, and that's okay. So now I need to go back to basics where I, if I'm going to share my music, it's got to be done in a way that it's fulfilling to me or else I might as well just keep playing the songs in my room. Get heady, I'll get high, so turn left till I get right, baby. I burn, but do I shine? Cause I'm crossing all the lines till it's heavy. I color outside the lines, tell everyone I'm doing fine. Seasons it takes time off my chest and on my mind. Cause some days not tonight.
That 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 phase is over, and you're and you're starting from a totally different place where you're more in control. Is it kind of a relief? It's such a relief. I feel, I feel like I'm in the best like stage of my life. I feel just really good and um, and stable, and I've been able to curate a life that makes sense for me. Um and my, my own mental health. And, and I think that I feel really lucky that I get to do music in all different ways now. And it's not just one way. I think that it's silly to think that people aren't extremely layered and especially artists. And it, it's just hard for me to fulfill doing just one thing. Like if I was just in just the artist and I'm just like writing an album and touring, that's just not fulfilling for me. It's not enough. So I, I, like, I love writing songs for other people. I love singing on television. I love writing songs, like, on briefs. I like working on the shows that I get to work on. And I like working on a bunch of different artist projects. And I don't I don't think I would be able to do that if I was still, like, signed to Interscope Records making that another album, you know? I'd be, like, a brand influencer, like, with my own brand. Right. <laughs> like, right. I mean? <laughs> and I don't know if I want all of that. Like, listen, I love attention. I'm still an attention whore, but I don't know if I want all of that criticism either. I'm like safe from that now. You know what I mean? There's like maybe like a few trolls still out there, but like they're drowned out by the people that love and support me. So it's just like, if when you go on that scale, the amount of like, disgustingness that comes out from other human beings is just so extreme. And I feel like life is too short slash too long to deal with that shit. Agreed. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and by the way, you know, your story is, it's so great, but there are some people who really were sort of um, hamstrung and taken down by those people to the point where it really kind of maimed them emotionally yeah I mean it definitely takes time you know I think that I think my biggest my my biggest eye-opener thing um with being a young woman in music was that there's a few different there's two different things that happened while I was on tour one um I had before uh before Ryan I had a different um before my husband I had a different drummer on my first few tours and he he one time, uh, like, he did not treat me like I was the one who was, like, paying his checks, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, I, we weren't, like, a band band. Like, they were, 
they're my session players, you know, I had them on retainer and they're, they're sweet guys and they're, they were my family, most of them. But this guy called me, I remember he called me a, a cunt, um, because I asked to go to the bathroom, um, cause I wanted to stop the van <laughs> and he, I just remember that sticking with me so much that like, he felt like he could talk to me that way, even though it was my band, you know, it was my project and I was the one that was signed and I'm the one that was funding everything. And then I remember also something happening. Um, you know, we were doing like 20, I did 26 shows in a row and I was doing promo in the mornings. And sometimes I would fly out to a different state and do promo and then come back to where we were having the show. And then I would do like a meet and greet or an acoustic set. Um, I would play my show and then I would meet with the fans and sell merch and stuff like that. And that was always like really encouraged. And I, I will say, I mean, I'll, I'll get back to that, but I just, I love my fans, but I think I'm a very, um, I'm more of an isolated person sometimes. Uh, I feel weird with strangers. Um, like I'm very friendly, but I just like, it's hard to meet so many strangers all at once and they all want to hug you. It makes you, it gives me anxiety. Sure. Um, so it's not them. It's just kind of like it all happens at you. You get like this really rush and high on stage. And then all of a sudden, like people are talking to you and you don't like, there's no good way. If somebody's telling you that you, they've changed, you've changed their lives. There's no good like reaction to that. Right. Like it's always going to be disappointing to them. And I feel like that like always stuck with me. I was like, I always wanted to make them feel really heard and seen. And it's hard to do that all the time, you know? Um, and anyway, I was doing so many shows in a row and, uh, you know, my voice was getting fatigued and I hadn't been sleeping cause I was sharing a room with like three of my bandmates and, um, I wasn't, I didn't have any privacy and I remember calling my manager and I was crying and I was like, I just need just one day off. I just need one day off to sleep because what happens when your brain doesn't sleep and you're constantly changing your surroundings so there is no like stability or routine is some people's brains have trouble with that right and then they are not functioning at their highest capacity you know they're just not functioning the way that in a healthy way and I could feel myself kind of spiraling out of control if I didn't take the time that I needed but they didn't give me the time that I needed they sent me there's like a these rock docs in like the industry and they'll send them they'll send their artists to them when artists are complaining about like voice fatigue or you know they're crying or they're you know for all other you know lack of a better term acting crazy um and that rock doc he gave me like i don't know like so many different drugs <laughs> like my god like so many different drugs i i think you uh, like i was on Valium. He said I was bipolar. I'm not bipolar. Um, put me on like some sort of bipolar medication and then gave me steroids and then gave me a sleeping, sleeping pills. Um, and they just put me back on the road. <laughs> and then My I, God. I, you know, something unfortunate happened with another, a man on the road that took advantage of me when I was on all those drugs and I told them about it and they were like, well, what did you do? You must have done something. And, um, and that was the moment I think I realized that, you know, being an artist, a young female artist that's signed and being a part of someone else's agenda 
isn't really for me. If I'm going to be in music, I have to be in charge. And so that's why, you know, I have my own company and I, I try to like nurture other female artists. A lot of other, you know, female musicians know that they can come to me with anything that's happened to them. And, you know, I'll be their advocate, but it's like, I think the time of white men shutting anybody up, <laughs> any marginalized person, females up, I think it's over. <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> I, <think it's> <laughs> I hope you're right. <laughs> I think it's time for it to be over. And, um, you know, I think at that time, it was a different time in music. So there wasn't really a place for me to, to have a voice in that way. You know, if I shared that story I think at that time, and I did share it in a few circles, it was not, um, it was just kind of frowned upon, you know? It was kind of like, well, you probably did do something, you know? And like, you you ruined your shot at being in music. And after that, everything kind of slowly started to, you know, fall apart with my management. And I ended up leaving them because they were like, we don't really see you as like an artist, a pop artist. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, uh, I was like, okay, bye then. <laughs> yeah, bye then. I mean, to me, like the disposability of an artist, both emotionally and physically, is what I'm getting from that story, and it's just appalling. It's sad, you know. It's it's. I think that, you know, this business, it's a business, and as as somebody that understands business, and I listen, I'm a Capricorn, so where my heart should be, there's like a wad of cash. But, um, <laughs> so I understand, but, uh, I think that there's a way to do, to monetize, um, music, monetize artists, monetize brands, um, without being a soulless fucking emotional vampire. Um, and I think that we could all do better. I agree. I mean, I was, I was interning at a record company. I won't, I won't say where and who the artist was cause <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, name names, but the it was a really famous artist and he had had a heart attack and he was in the hospital and he and he eventually recovered and he was fine but at the time no one knew what was going to happen and i asked one of the executives about it i said oh that's terrible news he said i don't care his record's already out right sort of like we got the record out of him so who cares about what happens to him now at least we you know and i thought wow what a what a thing to say um you know the again disposability of the artists and and you know, that's just, to me, that is just absolutely inhumane. It's inhumane. And here's the thing. It's actually not what's best for, um, the, the artist brand. I mean, if you think about it, like you should be like, look at healthcare, right? Like we should be in, um, healthcare for prevention, not, you know, and like, and that's what, what we should be doing with artists. It's like making sure that they're like, have enough like mental health support making sure that they can, you know, take care of their bodies, because that is so, so much a part of, of what we do. I mean, then you look at people and you say, look, they're driven to exhaustion. Now they're like at a hospital, right? Like you see it with our big stars all of the time. And um, first off, it's like, give them a round of applause because they've been through a fucking marathon and they've been killing it. And like, it was only a matter of time before they had to say, okay, stop, stop. I need to stop, right? Like, because people will keep taking from you because they need you to survive and live. And like, it's gotta be a team effort. We all have to kind of lift each other up. And I think that um, 
that is what will create a long career, a long healthy career. And, you know, I understand like the consumer wants and wants and wants, but you know, you gotta, you got you gotta set up boundaries. You just have to, I just, I don't come from the mentality that artists like need to give everybody all of themselves. I think that that is just too tall of an order to ask anybody. I agree. And I think, you know, in the old days where you'd have an artist put out, you know, 15 to 20 albums because they were um, working at, at a pace that was not as crazy um, or frenetic, um, you can always tell. You can all, even, even I think, with actors who move away from Hollywood and, you know, like Harrison Ford doesn't live anywhere near Hollywood. And he's had a really long, successful career, I think, because of it. Um, but sometimes when you stay in the eye of the storm, you're afraid that if you leave and, you know, take yourself out of it, that you're out of it. And I think that people have an anxiety about, you know, stepping away from it geographically might, you know, make them feel like they're stepping away from it in totality, which they're not. Yeah, I think you have to serve what feels right for you. And I think I've always been very in tune with how I feel. So I, I've definitely leaned into that power and, you know, and I was just so sick of everyone also telling me like, you have to pick one thing. Are you a songwriter or are you an artist? Are you a vocalist? I'm like, fuck all your faces. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And, um, I was like, if that doesn't exist yet, I'll, I'll create it. And so I've created my life because everything else that was being sold to me didn't make sense for me. And I think that if you listen, everything takes work. It's hard work. And it's not like I just do nothing. Like I have to work every day, but, um, that was my choice. And it feels so much better to be authentic and then be able to surround myself with such wonderful, creative people that are decent, you know, and really want to make the world a better place, um, as cheesy as that sounds, and just make the music industry uh, a better place. Because, you know, in some ways, we're just so behind <laughs> in so many ways, the way that we, we treat each other and the way that we um, operate businesses. It's just a little bit um, archaic. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> and so you've what you've done is you've built your own ecosystem, which is self-sustaining. Yeah, I always tell everyone in the music industry that or that's new to it and they, they want my advice. I'm like, listen, it's the Wild West out here. Like there is no industry standard. It's what you negotiate. So like you need to get like right with yourself and figure out like what it is works for you or else they'll eat you up alive. <laughs> right. Did you did you feel you had a good support system when you when finally when you're when you're when you when you were done with Gethin, when you were done with the major label life, were your parents supportive? Did you have good friends? Did you always feel supported? Uh no. Um, I think I had a very unhealthy relationship with my family. I'm adopted. And so my relationship with my parents is complicated. Um, I think that in a weird way, after the Geffen record, it was like the beginning of extreme change that would ultimately make my life what it is now and for the better. And I'd ultimately become the woman that I'm becoming. 
but um, it was, I felt very lost. I felt like, uh, like, like a lot of artists, we are tied up with our identity as artists. And um, I think in my head, I felt like if I wasn't signed, then I was like floating and that was nothing, you know? So I had my friends, but like I was still young and, and you have to understand that I was on the road and doing it. I was pretty much working from 16 to 23, 22 straight. So I didn't really have a lot of time to make a lot of friends. And I wasn't the kind of artist that was on tour and like partying. Um, I, cause I was working, you know? So I, and I was, I was too young. I couldn't go out and drink at the time. Um, so I was very isolated. And so it was, I, I think that I had some of my party years when I, when I, when I left Geffen because I was finally like, Oh, this is what people my age are doing, or this is what they were doing. And now I'm catching up. And, you know, it was right. just, and I, um, eventually I had a, you know, extreme falling out with my, my family and all, all these other terrible, crazy things happened, uh, that were very traumatic. And I was in a very dark place. And I think that when I moved to California, which is about six, five and a half, six years ago, that's when I started like truly living my life and creating a, a support system that, um, I still have today. I mean, you really went through it. You've been through so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I, 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 you know, I was laughing about this with my friend, um, who's funny knife, funny enough, her name is Jessie and she has the same birthday as me, which is like nuts. Um, but she, she's a, she's, she's an actress and she's been a, you know, she was a child actress for, for, you know, since she was a kid and we were talking and I was like, yeah, sometimes it's like scary for me to like talk about all the things that have happened to me because it sounds like they're lies because no, not all of the stuff can happen to one person. And like, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, I'm adopted. Oh, my like face disintegrated. And I had to get reconstructed surgery. Then I got signed to a major label. Then like some like sh shady shenanigans went down, left that. And then, uh, you know, I had like crazy falling out with my family. Um, I had, a it, it all, like I got, when I moved to California, I mean, uh, I, one thing that in my, a lot of my fans don't know about me is that I became like a certified counselor advocate for sexual assault survivors and domestic violence survivors here in California, um, for peace over violence. And, um, I did that because I had been right. So it was after the voice and I was kind of feeling a little lost again, kind of like how I was feeling a little lost after the Geffen thing. Cause I was like, okay, well what now? Am I going to continue to write for other people? Like, I'm not sure music is even healthy for me. I, I am not having a good time. I don't have any support. I don't have a manager, you know. Um, and uh, I had was in a studio one day and I was taking, um, I got into a cab to go to, uh, to the train station and the cab driver did not take me to the train station. He took me out of the city and I was assaulted. Um, and you know, that was kind of like a life changing thing for me. It was very, um, clearly very traumatic. I had to escape the car afterwards and run to a rest stop and the state troopers were involved. And, um, and I think it was me at my crossroads where I was kind of like, do I stay in this 
extremely dysfunctional place? And do I continue to be this artist because it's what I've always done? And do I stay with a family that is a little is toxic for me? Um, or do I get really uncomfortable again and remove myself from from these kind of extreme conditions and really like dig in and do some work on myself and um, and like really start to process all the life that I've basically had that I've never had the opportunity or the time to really, um, you know, go through it. <laughs> and so I did that. And then I think because I did that, um, I, I, I'm in the position that I'm in now. And so I, I'm not grateful for that assault, but I am grateful for what, what the result was. But what's remarkable to me is that you had those options that you just laid out, but there was never the option for you of, or should I crawl under this rock and vanish forever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely thought about it, but I think that <laughs> my spirit, as much as I like can't stand myself sometimes, I like I'm, can be a little obnoxious. Um, I've always been a survivor and I've always been a fighter and there's something inside of me that just wants to keep going and prove people wrong and prove myself wrong. And, um, the end of the day, you have to be there for yourself. And that's such a hard lesson to learn that you really do have to love yourself. And that's deeply challenging and comes with all those, you know, it, it, without sounding so self-helpy. I mean, it's, it's a daily struggle, right? Um, but, you know, if you can be there for yourself, you can let other people be there for you. And that only, like, lends itself into other things that you do in your life. And that's with business, too. And so I think when I, when everything kind of fell apart for me um, in, a, in an extreme way, and, I, and at that point I didn't have a family, I didn't have money, I didn't have a home... <laughs> My God. And I, and I I was living in my car. I was I just started to tour. <laughs> and then I came out to California, you know, with, I think with like $1,000 or something. Um, after also having like a, an extreme record deal with like lots of money, you know. So I, right. I lived these kind of polar opposite lives. And I think that when I had nothing, that's when I like, I felt really alive, right? Because you have something, right? You have the only thing that you have is yourself. So you better lean into it. You better, you better do the work. You, you have to have hope. You have to love yourself if you want to survive that or else you are going to just wither away. And now when I, you know, now I have, you know, I have, I live in the house, I have my husband and, um, it's, it's so great is that, um, you just, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought because my husband just walked into the bedroom. <laughs> as, as you mentioned him, he walked right in. On yeah, cue. he's like, way to go. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, now when things fall apart, you have, to, you have to remember that when things fell apart, you still made it okay, right? Like your feet are like firmly on the ground and like you got through it because you had to get through it. And this, whatever low moment you're in now was not the lowest not the lowest moment you experienced and you survived that. So I think it's a good lesson. And I think that 
I encourage, you know, other people when, when they're going through all this terrible shit, it fucking sucks, but like, it's going to make the rest of your life so much easier <laughs> because you're going to be like, Oh, I did that. This is fine. Right. This is a minor inconvenience. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about what, there's nothing funny about what you're saying, but what's <laughs> funny is that, is that you were saying people think that, you know, it almost sounds like a, a series of lies. And I think it's because you're only 31. If you were telling that story and you're like, as a 78 year old person, you know, cause it's, it's like a lifetime of stuff that you've already lived and already made it through. Yeah. Sometimes, but you know what? I think that means like maybe the, like the next 30 years are going to be like a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> they better be. <laughs> yeah, they will. I mean, it, you've, you know, it's, but it's also, you know, all kidding aside, it's also incredibly um, motivating and it's incredibly comforting to hear you say all these things you've been through and to be talking to you now uh, in such a good place with these great new songs and this, and the new moniker and this, it's just, I think for people who are, because a lot of people listen to the show are young and they're aspiring to be an artist of some kind. And I think this is an incredibly um, encouraging and motivating uh, and comforting uh, series of stories for them to hear. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Well, I appreciate you sharing them. Tell me a little bit about the new music and, and the new moniker. And I, and I wonder how you feel um, recording under that moniker. Does that feel much more natural to you and a, a more of a progression? Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I never really record under my, my actual name. I don't know why I just don't. Um, I think because my name belongs to me. And I think that like, I've always liked band names and, and, and different monikers because they can come and go. Right. But I'm forever kind of thing. So I like, if I ever record an album under my name, it's gotta be something like, so like, so special. (laughs) Um, and like something I'd like freak out and be a perfectionist about. But, um, Laces just like really reminds me of how everything gets tied together. And I felt like Charlotte sometimes didn't belong to me anymore, especially after everything that had happened. It just felt like kind of dirty to me, like it was tainted, you know, and I'm not saying that it is. I still like love that music and I appreciate everyone who enjoys that music. It just felt like that was the young woman in me and she doesn't live here anymore. You know, so, um, so I, I, laces to me is kind of like, is Charlotte sometimes evolution? She, I have different projects, but I feel like laces isn't that far away from what is Charlotte sometimes record and songs would sound like now. Um, because I'm still kind of writing from that same place. Um, the new music is just, I would say when I first did my first laces EP, I really wanted to kind of like step away from Charlotte sometimes. So we did like a very different direction. Um, I also was like trying to work with like the budget I had and, you know, it was kind of like a, you know, a very, you know, the project, I did my best (laughs) with what I had. Right. And and then I released a few other singles with a longtime collaborator and they were very poppy and I love, I love them. But I think that um, the last, you know, the last two song, two singles, uh, Some Days Not Tonight and, um, and Moved, just make more sense 
for for me as an artist. I think they're also really honest. I think some days, not tonight, is um, a really honest discussion um, that I was having with myself about my anxiety and that being okay with with not being okay and saying, hey, you know, uh, some days, not tonight. Like, I'll get there, but right now I feel pretty bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, and, and just like kind of living in that, which is something I, I, I think I live with a lot of anxiety. And so I'm constantly having those, those conversations. And then my new song moved. It was just such a special um, experience. You know, I, I, I have, I just wrote that like uh, maybe two months ago. So it's not very old. Um, I recorded it and you know released it all within two months and um i had was writing with my friend g which his name is got in i can never say it so i just say g because i don't want to be offensive to him i'm like i'm sorry i'm so i can't say it because <laughs> like, i want to call him garen and he's like it's not garen <laughs> and i'm like okay um so he and i were working together and we were working on um a song for for tv and we were writing to this, you know, I was like, oh, I want to do a song in this style. And it has like these kind of moments. And and we were writing it. And what happened is that, you know, it turned into this very different song. And, you know, I'm quite the stoner. So G and I were super blazed. <laughs> and we were like writing this song. And we were just kind of talking about, oh, uh, you know, I was thinking about like CW shows, you know, and like how it feels when you are unhealthily in love with somebody that is so toxic and bad for you, but like they make you feel so alive. And, you know, I was trying to think about who's made me feel that way. And, um, when I was, I was engaged before, uh, like when I was younger, I actually wrote the song, uh, how I could just kill a man about this guy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, seems to be quite the muse for me yeah. <laughs> um, but I um which he and I are friendly and we we laugh about it all the time he's like when are you gonna stop writing songs about me I'm like never I'm always gonna write songs about you <laughs> um and which is I'm lucky that my husband is so understanding uh yeah, totally yeah I was like oh you know I felt this way about um about Anthony how I just felt like everything he did made me feel like alive and it was like the idea that's like um no one's gonna move me like you it's like because when you are with somebody and they have that power over you right like there's something unhealthy and kind of like a drug about that right like there's like this really it's like cathartic but then it's painful and then it's um, beautiful, and then it's safe, and then it's unsafe, and so you're feeling like a roller coaster of emotions, um, and that's never gonna like make you feel more alive, right? Like when you're in a healthy, normal relationship, you're like, "Yo, what's up? Like, love you. Like, good night. Like, you know, it's right. just like, you know, because it's an everyday thing, and ultimately that's healthier for you. But that kind of extreme love you're never gonna be moved in that way again unless you are going to basically sacrifice yourself and your um health 
<laughs> so um, I just thought it would be a really interesting song to write. And I didn't think that I would like be able to go back into that place and feel so connected to it. And um, it's uh, it was it was is a really interesting song to write. And it's a really um, I really love singing it because it's a very challenging song to sing. Um, you know, it goes really low. It's very, very airy. And then at the end, it kind of does this thing. And, you know, the demo, uh, well, the actual song, those are my, my one take demo vocals. So it was, it's hard to recreate that because I was a little high (laughs) (laughs) and I was just kind of making it up as I was going along. I was on the couch and I was holding the microphone and I, it's those nuances there, you know, and those mistakes that I've made on the song, you know, it was hard, painful for me to listen to. I was like, Oh, I didn't hit that note the right way. And, you know, my husband was like, no, but that's what makes it special. So you're not singing it again. And I'm like, I'm not, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) So it was really cool. And my piano, my long-term piano player, um, Patrick Firth, uh, we sent him the track, um, and he redid the piano and just, he is such an artist, um, and I just love, I just love the way he plays. And Joshua Sadler Brown um, produced the song, and my husband executive produced the song, and um, it was just a really special way that everything, you know, came about. It, it, I just when I we finally, you know, recorded the song, I just said, I think I need to share this. It just feels like one of those songs that we need to release right away, and so so we just made it happen. I love the speed of it. I love how, you know, it's only two months old and then, and people, and you've shared it with people so quickly. I I love that. Yeah. I think that's like kind of the cool things about our industry now, you know, like, and I don't have a lot of red tape to go through. Like if I want to release something, I'm going to, and you know, I release a lot of different like, um, side projects and, um, different EPs. But now like when it comes to Lisa songs, like, you know, I have another two singles that are going to be coming out. One is, um, running in reverse, um, a song that I did with Chris Ayer that I'm featured on, we've actually flipped it around and now it's me featuring Chris Ayer. So I'm doing my version of the song featuring him. Um, and that is something I'm really excited to share. And then I'm going to do one other single that I, that I wrote actually way before I wrote moved, but it's just taken some more time to kind of like figure out production wise where that goes. Um, but that song is called day in the dark. And it's kind of about when I had a, I had a, um, I had a concussion last summer when I got, uh, someone like rear ended me on the one Oh one, such an LA story. Um, it's like, Oh, so you got in a car crash on the one Oh one. No shit. Um, but <laughs> I had a concussion and I came up with this idea while I was in my concussion. I was like, it feels like a day in the dark. You know, because you, you're you not like in, in control of yourself all the time because you're going through a concussion. So um, you get confused a lot. Um, and then I kind of try to massage that idea into what it feels like to be in an extreme place. Um, but then being able to say to yourself, like, it's just another day in the dark. You're going to be fine. Do you feel more creatively alive than ever? Yeah. Totally. Because it's on my terms and I get to work with all my favorite people. It's so much fun. And you're calling the shots. I love that. Can you, (laughs) um, I I think it's important to say this. If, if someone has gone through something and they, and they don't know what to do about it, um, because you were talking about, you know, being a counselor, 
what should they do? I mean, even if it happened a year ago, what, what, what advice would you give someone who has been through something they were too, maybe too ashamed or embarrassed to talk about? Um, well, if it has to do with, with, you know, sexual assault or domestic violence, like I definitely recommend calling the hotline. Um, there, there's a few different, um, hotlines. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, helpful and they can give you resources, um, to get the help that you need. Um, it's, I have the number. So it's, it's 1-800-656-4673. Um, and so you can call that if you're, if you're ever in, um, you know, in a situation and and get the help that you need, whether it's something that you, you, you want to get, you want to go to the hospital, do you want to get a a rape uh, kit or anything like that? But even if you just want somebody to talk to and you want to figure out, you know, if you're having a lot of anxiety or having PTSD, um, they're there for you to talk to um, and make sure that you can find the tools that you need in order to survive your day um, or give you access to different, um, you know, free therapy and things like that um, to and, and group and groups and everything like that. And so I definitely recommend the hotline and ultimately make sure that you are carving out some space for self-care. Like, Go take a walk, take some deep breaths, remind yourself that your feet are on the ground, that you're in control of your body. Try to like, you know, really get in tune with your body because that's been taken from you. And then if it's if it's not sexual assault, it's just, you know, something you were put into a, a, a position in music where you felt like you were, you were in charge of your own um self, you know, your own body, your own work, your own career. Just remember that there's a whole network of amazing people here in in the industry that are here for you. And don't be afraid to speak up. Maybe it's not the right thing to go speak up to that person that has made you feel uncomfortable. But reach out to your peers, other, you know, female musicians, other like male allies in music and, and they will be there for you. And believe me, I'm sure it's not the first time that they've heard something like that about someone. Um, the only way things are going to get better is if we all communicate with each other. There's also a, um, a community called Reboot that Pulse uh, Music Publishing has, and we do monthly <clears throat> monthly get-togethers um, of just women supporting other women in music, um, whether that is help monetizing things or mental health um, or sexual assault. Um or just trying to, you know, create more opportunities for women. That is also a great resource, and you can find them online. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Thank you for talking to me. I've, I've wanted to chat with you for a long time. I was really excited to have this conversation, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Oh, of course. Any time. I, I clearly love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, how's the voice now? I think by the end of the interview, I want to be like, anyway, that now I'm totally right. relaxed. Right. Like now I, I, I'm like so awake, right? I'm like, hi, everything's great. <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed this so much and I, I hope you have a great weekend. I love the music and uh, let's do it again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking the time. Well, what can I say? 
I'm crazy about laces. And you will be too once you learn all about her. Go to headbitchmusic.com and check out all the cool things that she does. There's a lot of it. As for me, well, I only do one thing. I talk to people that are cooler than me. For all details, please go to alexgreenonline.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor, or follow me on Instagram, Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com, or, well, no, I guess that's it. I mean, how many more places do you need to find me? Oh, you can find me anywhere that you get your podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Last.fm, Google Play, iTunes, uh, if that's still around. Uh, subscribe, leave a comment, leave some stars. Thank you in advance for your generosity and your enthusiasm. Uh, for the program, assuming you do have all that, which I think you do, because you're here. Let's close the program with another song from Laces. This is Moved. Enjoy it, and I will see you next time for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. There's a darkness inside of me. Magnets were only drawn to thee So we keep circling, circling down Crashing and burning down Losing to gravity now Giving to following now There's nobody